Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Awaken your senses with a curiously refreshing Hendrix Cucumber Lemonade. Curious how? Cue the aroma. Marvelous. Cue the taste. Magnificent. Cue the cucumber. That's the refreshing secret. Hendrix is uncommonly crafted with cucumbers, roses, artistry, and imagination. Other gins are ordinary, but Hendrix is refreshingly curious. Discover Hendrix Gin cocktail recipes at HendrixGin.com. Please drink the unusual responsibly. Hendrix Gin, 44% alcohol by volume. Bottled and imported by William Grant Sons, New York, New York. Copyright 2024. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Olive Magazine podcast, your weekly audible breakdown of the week's food, drink and travel news by the Olive Magazine team. My name is Laura Rowe, I'm the editor of the magazine, and this week I've been speaking to Rebecca Burr, the editor of another publication, the 2017 Michelin Restaurant Guide, at its launch on Monday. Janine, our food editor, popped around food writer Felicity Cloaksgaff to learn about some lesser-known US classic recipes. There are no burger or ribs here, sadly. And Sarah, our drinks writer, reveals the top 10 of the world's 50 best bars. There's some real pleasant surprises in there, so keep listening. First up, here's Rebecca Burr, editor of the Michelin Guide for 2017, and why those coveted stars mean more than they ever have done and why she hates starch white tablecloths. So my name is Rebecca Burr. I'm the editor of the Michelin Guide to Great Britain and Ireland. Fantastic. Okay, so what does having a Michelin star mean in 2017? Oh, same as it's always meant, actually. Well, to us, it means an awful lot, and we hope it will mean a lot to the chefs because they're being measured across uh, against their peers, really, in the same level across the world. So um, as you can see, there are you know, not too many today, and that shows how important it is and yeah. the standard that we look for. Do you think there's uh, been an evolution of, of what having a star is and what it means and that when it was first founded um, by the two brothers, mm-hmm. that it was about sort of places to stop off on a journey? Do you yes. think that's still as relevant as it is today and yeah. it's gone full circle? Or? I think very much so, even probably more, because as we lead busy, busier lives, we don't want to spend too much time researching. We want to go to a, a valuable resource mm. and be assured we're going to have the right um, Standard. So I think if you're spending a lot of time knowing where to go and eat and certainly a lot more destination dining around these days, people want to know where they're spending their money is going to be really good. Yeah. And do you think there's kind of a mis- 
misconception by some people that the guide is all about kind of about the stars because that was yeah. sort of one thing that really resonated in the event today yes. in that it is about good value restaurants as well so you've yeah. got the big performance and any any restaurants that are in here are, are really great quality restaurants yeah I suppose yeah it sometimes goes unnoticed that we've only got 2,100 or so restaurants in our guide mm. um, you know below 200 of those are starred so all wow. those other restaurants are really important to us because they still have to make the grade as far as the quality, the value for money, the way they're run, the, the, the regard that the chef and the owner would give to their ingredients and what they're offering in the price. So it's a lot of those restaurants in the background that don't always get selected from year to year. So, you know, the stars are a different league. The Bib Gourmands are still a really important part of our selection. It's a 20-year anniversary for the, for the Bib Gourmand Award this year. And... It's a bumper year for the London selection, actually. We've got more more and more. And I think, you know, London's the first city that would be, would show its diversity and also the flexibility and being able to offer some fantastic food at a great price. Mm. So I think, you know, we've got it all covered, hopefully. Yeah, I think so. Um, Do you think, especially now, is having a physical book is is quite an unusual thing in this day and age when everybody thinks they're a reviewer, rightly or wrongly, you know, your your trip advice and things like that. Do you think the mission guide is still as relevant as ever in, in the different mediums that you offer that yeah I, th- I, I really do think so I mean yes we, we bring out an annual guide you know hey I couldn't I can't wait for the day we stop making a paper book oh, okay. because we have all the proofreading <laughs> and all the bits and pieces that go with it but you know there still is a demand for it mm-hmm. and you know I do wonder how many more years we'll be bringing out a paper guide but I think alongside that we do have Twitter and mm-hmm. that way we're able to show that we do go to the new places that open up and we don't actually have to wait a year before the yeah. guides comes out we can comment upon them on our social media yeah. um, account as well which which is great i mean the stars and the big ones i think will still be awarded annually yeah. i think we should hold on to that because we are looking for consistency across the selection so, so that's that, what makes you really different from a lot of well yeah ex- exactly i think so because it's not just a one-off um, and places can change so I think that's really important that is the difference and again I refer back to how people want these you know they want to know where's good at yeah. an instant yeah um and what do you uh, one question that I personally want to know is how do you become a mission inspector how do you qualify <laughs> I know, how do you qualify yeah it's great um uh, how do you qualify well we, we you know we look for for people to have a background in the industry yeah. but that can be in various forms whether it's the traditional going to hotel school or they've had a really good experience in a in a restaurant okay. um, or hotel I mean ideally in the kitchen we don't have very many vacancies at the moment because no. <laughs> we have um, guides all over the world so you know we've got teams that that work in New York Hong Kong yeah. Tokyo and but it, you know it's quite grueling people like the thought of the job yeah. they think oh yes I could do that one or two times a week <laughs> no it's actually full-time yeah. and it's a lot and it means in the depths of winter you've got to go and stay in a country pub that's yeah up somewhere yeah. exactly and um so when i when i really in detail describe the job they think all oh, right okay it's not quite what i thought <laughs> how do you keep consistency because uh, they were mentioning today about you know they've just launched in shanghai and these yeah. inspectors from around the world but that must be really difficult to kind of say if you have a mission star in paris then it's going to be the same quality as in london how do you guys yeah i mean as as we set up guides around the world they are set up by local teams local inspectors who we employ specifically and they work alongside experienced inspectors from the other 
countries right. where we were established. So it's an amalgamation. And then gradually we hand over to the local inspectors yeah. because we do have a training procedure. Okay. And no, it's just great because it means they go to London, to Paris, uh, or to New York, for example. Make and they sound really good again. I don't, am I? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so, so they see the way we work and what we look yeah. for. But there's when we employ people, they have to have an inherent understanding of restaurants. Yeah. Um, and that means being you know not only super observational they've got to have an understanding if, if someone's had an off night and yeah. we don't make knee-jerk reaction that sort of thing so yeah. so they've got to know the business inside out really yeah. and then it's it's fine because you just sort of slowly pull away you leave the local team then to run their guide yeah. and then you know but we do crossover all the time and and I think that's that you know the world's a small place isn't it yeah definitely. but but as far as retaining the consistency across the the selection in the different cities all over the world there will always be differences and I think that's what adds to the interest of the guide yeah really one thing that I've noticed having worked in kitchens um, have you when I was okay. growing up yeah. really uh, yeah okay, and right. one thing is that chefs they become obsessed with it. They yeah. they think they can spot when uh, uh, inspectors coming round. Yeah. How do you guys stay anonymous, and how do you kind of battle that? You hear kind of um, yeah. stories about things yeah. of wearing people wearing disguises and things. Is, is that true? Or? I think that's our adv- adventurous American cousins. <laughs> they they go into that sort of thing a lot more than we do. Yeah. Um, we mix and match around all the time. Yeah. So we often, we're going to the important places we eat in pairs. Yes, I'm known in some restaurants, mm-hmm. but can a chef really change the way he or she can, uh, cooks, you know, so so radically just because we go in? And we, yeah, we try as everybody else to, to get in undetected. Why? Because we want a true experience. And yeah. if we feel... No, I think we were we were clocked there. Then we'll send somebody else back. Okay. And you know, you heard Sean say that you know, no less than eight inspections at the Fat Duck. Yeah, of many of those, we were not known. Mm-hmm. You know, if not all, because you know, I think things have changed. I think you know, the service teams are looking after their guests. They're not, you know, they're confident in what they're doing. They treat everybody the same. Yeah. So uh, it's not something we need to get terribly concerned about. And, you know, that old man sitting in a grey suit in the corner. <laughs> it doesn't really happen. No, no. <laughs> okay. Um, one thing I noticed with the, the list of the new mission stars this year is that a lot seems quite casual in their um, oh. offering, which is, is great. Is that something that you made a con- conscious effort with this year? Or no. Just... I mean, people think we're all about, and I don't like the video when they're ironing table cloths. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> God, and white gloves. I mean, yeah. God, we string ourselves up sometimes. But, uh, hey, there's yeah. only so many things I can do. But I, I didn't like that at all. Yeah. Um, the tablecloths, I mean, oh, who thinks about them? Do I notice them when I'm outside? I'm not even sure I do. I'm more mm. concerned about what's on the plate, really. Yeah. And oh, we're not changing, you know, moving into casual places. That's just the way restaurants have gone. Um, it's not us. To, we don't make it. We make a conscious effort to recognise good food. Yeah. And I would like to say that this year, for me, the highlights are the ninth and yeah. Ellery. Oh, um, as far as the London openings, mm. I would say they, and certainly Jean Tanaka at the ninth, I think, you know, he's a great chef um but he's slowly moved in this direction and I think he would probably look back on his food maybe that he was he was preparing 10-15 years ago and see but times change don't they so no we haven't made a conscious effort that's just the way restaurants have gone and and do you think that's a particularly British thing that we we have this kind of distinct style or is it a a worldwide um trend that you're seeing now um I think yes we have our own style but I think perhaps you know we saw it in New York a few years ago, 
Um, and certainly when we we made that guide, gosh, I think it must be maybe 12, 15 years ago, we thought, one, you know, London's moving in that direction, but it's, it's taken a while. One thing that we, some of us are talking upstairs, is it's yeah. great that nothing was leaked this year. That oh, gosh. That must be so I'm going to sleep so well tonight. <laughs> yeah. I can't was, tell you how well. Yeah, yeah I mean, um, and it's been through no fault of our own in yeah. the last couple of years. It's been the, you know, the good book wholesaler that hasn't really uh, respected the embargo that's yeah. really written all over the cardboard boxes but that happens so we thought we'd we'll even forsake initial sales to not send them out so they're not out in the bookshops oh, wow. till the sixth okay, because um it's unfair um really for the team of inspectors because we've been putting a lot of work into this yeah. annual selection and then um, really for the chefs and the businesses because yeah. you get random phone calls you know did we get a star somebody said we did we're not sure yeah. and that's really unfair yeah. so this that the whole way we had to put everything out on twitter last year was good because we managed to keep it contained and people weren't wondering left wondering on whether they had a star or not so i think that was a good thing but you know we don't in, not necessarily mystery or in, intrigue or anything like that, but it's a, it's a time to be celebrated, and we just wanted it in the, you know the proper environment. Yeah. And so, so yes, yeah, it it's really good. Great. It's it good that we didn't have any leaves. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really, really great good. to see all the chefs, you know, standing it? up and applauding everyone. Yeah, and really, I think that's good. each other as well. Yeah, than just having this book or you know. Yeah, yeah, events, yeah I know. I mean, we're not we're not ones for great events yeah. and pomp and yeah. things like that it's just not really what we do you know it's all about bringing out the selection and the guy so but these events have been really successful in yeah. asia and america and why not i think it's brilliant that um you know we celebrate it and just yeah, in another way it's another extension of that so yeah. yeah it was good and it was good you know it's very difficult to know which chefs to invite so we thought well, we're in london we'll invite the london chefs and then maybe the twos and threes from around the country and hopefully some can attend but you know it's also was it a good turn that right I don't know I haven't seen anything I'm just stuck in this room (laughs) with my glass of champagne (laughs) there you go yeah Um, and the other things that were new for this year was the female chef of the year and the service chef why were they important to you to yeah well it it was very important even though they're sponsored awards that they're chosen by the inspecting team so that you know that was absolutely a must and um, I don't know female chef of the year do you need to have a female chef of chef of the year that was that was you know decided and I think it does highlight you know an important subject where there is there's a lack of women in the kitchen and and I think it was it was fantastic that Claire was recognized because she you know she's she's incredible I mean what she's done in maintaining Mm. three stars for Mm. for Gordon Ramsay for over 10 years before she moves on to her new venture it seemed to be apt and for the welcome and service, well, we, I mean, we were sport for choice, but I don't know if you know Peels at Hampton Manor. I but been right. To yeah, well, they've, they've gauged it just right. I'd say they're a new era contemporary hotel. Um, and they're just so pleasant you yeah. know they they just they just talk to guests they they share the same philosophy there's not this sort of front of house and back of house yeah. thing that they, they just all work together and I just you know that that's great but we you know we were spoilt for choice and um you know I hope it's something that continues because it's you know we have the stars which are absolutely paramount but it's nice to have a little bit of something else as well yeah. so. and it shows the importance of the awards it's not just being about the food it's kind of about the whole yeah. story of food and well it is experience. yeah well with the welcome and service yes um, and the female chef was different, but for the stars, it's purely about the food. Yeah. Really, really, it is. Cool. So. All right. Well, thank you so yeah. much. Yeah. No, it's likewise. No, thanks a lot. You too. Cool. You too. Thank you.
big thanks to Rebecca Burr, editor of the Michelin Guide, at the launch there on Monday. If you like the sound of any of the restaurants that uh, Rebecca mentioned, have a look on olivemagazine.com. We've got lots of reviews of restaurants around the UK and London for more details. Next up, we have our food editor, Janine, speaking to the acclaimed food writer, Felicity Cloak. So we've got Felicity Cloak with us today. Um, You might know Felicity from her column in The Guardian, The Perfect, where she investigates um, loads of different recipes for a classic dish and then distills it down into one perfect recipe. Um, She's also published uh, two books based on a perfect column and a book about perfect hosting. And this year, her first standalone cookery book, The A to Z of Eating, which is published by Penguin. So welcome, Felicity. Hi, very nice to be here. (laughs) this month in our November issue, which is out this week, Felicity has written us a series of amazing recipes uh, based on USA food, something that she's really interested and excited by. So tell us what it is that really excites you about the food of the USA. I think, I mean, I find the US in general gets a bit of a bad press in this country. I mean, this was what inspired it for November was obviously we had the election coming up, which looks to be incredibly exciting. Um, So I'm a little bit um, obsessed with everything American at the moment. Um, But just, you know, when we think of American food, we tend to think of, you know, the big hitters like the burgers and the fries and the hot dogs and the, you know, the ribs and even when it comes to barbecue, we get the pulled pork or your burnt ends and they're lovely. They're, absolutely delicious god who doesn't have a really fatty burnt end yum (laughs) but um i went to kentucky earlier this year um and they do lamb in there they do you know you never see in this country and actually in the states they don't eat a lot of lamb but down there they do because kentucky's kind of um the kind of country that lamb you know Mm. thrives in they do barbecue lamb barbecue lamb and it you know it's a meat that responds really really well to slow cooking so actually in um my latest book i have a recipe for pulled lamb and it's just it mm. just is so because it's a little bit fatty like pork like um, a lamb shoulder would that be yeah so a lamb shoulder and you really slow cook it and then you serve it with a sort of tangy mop and that's not the kind of thing you associate with u.s barbecue no, but there's all. all of these hidden um gems of american cooking that don't really make it into the international stage and i find that really exciting because it's such a big place and it deserves to be celebrated with more than yeah burgers and fries basically yeah, and i suppose it in a way it's because it is such a big place that each each region each state has its own particular little cookery vibe going mm. on you know and, and there's some that we completely miss exactly so. yeah i think we're very focused as brits on like the coasts yeah, yeah so okay. either in new york and you're eating the bagels and the cronuts and things like yeah, that yeah, or yeah. you're over in um san francisco eating you know all of the lovely um sourdough and things like that or you go to la and have the you know the avocado salads etc but you don't get the heartland of yeah. the u.s this enormous kind of between the coast bit where they have the most fantastic dairy and meat and produce and there's the different recipes from the waves of different settlers so say in um wisconsin um they have a big dairy industry and there are lots of um swedish settlers and german settlers and so they have quite a heavy scandinavian and germanic influence to their food which you know you just don't think of when you think of America. So when you start looking at the different states, you can kind of trace a lot of the lineage of the recipes mm. back to to settlers, I guess, people who brought in all of their different influences. So in a way, a country that we sometimes simplify, as you said, to burger and ribs, has got an amazing melting pot of, of sort of 
cuisines in there. Yeah, I mean, there's everything from, you know, we think maybe it's the obvious, the Mexicans, for example, is a great big influence of um, Mexican cooking up the West Coast and kind of in the Southwest. But then, yeah, as I said, there's um, there's the um, Germanic and uh, Scandinavian people in the Midwest, but then in the... Um, northeast there's the pennsylvania dutch and then you know you even get the little pockets of sort of british settlers down the east coast in some of the (laughs) oldest settlements and you get some stuff that you would never see in britain these days but it's really old style puddings and like savory batters and things (laughs) that you know we might feel we've moved on from that and we're all about the avocado fries (laughs) but there you know they're still embracing it and it's so exciting is there a particular state or area or coast that you really appeals to you, like the way that they're cooking? Um, I really, really love the Deep South because right. it just seems to be such a... Um, for one, they've got great produce down there because yeah. the weather is brilliant. They've got great seafood from the Gulf of Mexico. Um, and then they've got the sort of French influence and the sort of Cajun Creole influence. Yeah. Um, it just seems a little bit... Um, a little bit more subtle than some yeah. of the other cooking. And it's really big-hearted stuff as well, yeah. you know. And it's, it's stuff that they've, like you said, I went to um, New Orleans and a few years ago and and everyone's kind of got their own little take on a certain dish. You know, if you get mm. the etouffee or you get the jambalaya, it's kind of what their mom made and it's what they... And they've all got a perfect way of putting it together. And I think that sort of makes a difference. It's sort of like when you've got a classic dish and everyone's like tweaking it slightly it's mm. not like one prescriptive dish yeah and it's also in new orleans is the home of the three martini lunch so that's also okay, tell yeah. me about that <laughs> i'm not it sure is, i would make it no i think that it's a um there's a legendary restaurant there where i think that um it's not brennan's is it it I'm might not. be brennan's i remember um i do remember reading about it I, it's not that i can't remember because okay. i went for the three martini <laughs> lunch because i definitely know that my limit is one martini but that was it you basically before you started eating you had your three martinis wow. so i just love that kind of bon vivant yeah. attitude to life even though it might not be practical for most of us in I, the day-to-day living because when i was when we were at brennan's they gave us a um we went for breakfast and they gave us a cocktail list <laughs> Yes. And there was a, a cocktail called the Corpse Reviver. I can't remember exactly what was in it, but I'm sure it had absinthe in it. And I was thinking absinthe for breakfast is not, not a good look. It's, yeah, really. it's going a little bit too far, you maybe. you do find New Orleans has got that sort of, you know, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't really sleep. Yeah, so. yeah, it's quite a sort of, it feels a little bit anarchic in, in contrast to a lot of the rest of the states where, you know, they're offering you low alcohol beers, which is not really my thing. I think if I'm going to have a beer, then I'm going to have a proper beer. But in yeah, New Orleans, the drinks are like fish bowls, basically, yeah. and it's just it's yeah, it's just got that slightly wild spring break feel about it all year yeah. round. No, it's a great town. Now you mentioned avocado fries, and in our November issue, one of your recipes is avocado fries. When we made these in the test kitchen people went insane. I mean, they are so good and they're so simple. So tell us what is the secret to these? So I think avocado fries, when I've been telling people about it, they have divided opinion because people are sometimes slightly freaked out with the idea of warm avocado. But what's nice about these is that you don't, you bake them, but 
it stays very creamy yeah. inside. So you get that lovely crunchy coating. And I've actually used um, crushed up tortilla chips to, to kind of get with that West Coast um, vibe and the slightly kind of trashy vibe that I, I quite like about some American cooking. it works cooking. so well. I mean, it yeah. works. So, I can believe that um, you just kind of flour and egg them and then dip them in the tortilla chips and put them in the oven. So you kind of... So you you know I it's it's fairly it's it's a fairly healthy thing, um, but they stay so super crisp on the outside. Mm, and yeah. we I mean we we people came in to try them and they literally were fighting <laughs> over them. It's such a good recipe. That's such a good sign. Yeah, I I am a complete convert. I have to say when I saw the recipe, I was slightly skeptical. I made them and I just thought I can't stop eating them. I was yeah. like I really should save some to give to someone else. I'm like oh no they you know they won't be so good cold. So do I just you think? Ate them do all. you think we've reached peak avocado yet, or do you think? there's still a way to, I think there's probably still a I way th- to go <laughs> I think I think there is I yeah I think we might have reached peak avocado on toast okay. but now there's so much other stuff like I'm now quite excited about the idea of cooked avocado yeah. and you know recipes for avocados with eggs baked into them and stuff yeah. I think there's a long way to go and also with the avocado in sweet dishes as well which yeah, it's good in, uh, yeah. I, I'm loving it in smoothies I'm a little bit obsessed yeah. about putting it in, it's or it, like a chocolate mousse yeah. with like just cocoa powder and avocado it's surprisingly delicious yeah, it's got, got that I think we've actually got a recipe that Anna did mm. for it for a healthy and yeah you're right you can't it's an undefinable flavour yeah. in there but it just gives you the real richness yeah. and kind of almost almost richer than cream because yeah. it seems more silky but you do have to get a really ripe yeah. avocado and I think that's the problem you have to sometimes stand, yeah, you have to in this stand country. Stand over them waiting, don't yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I just say I like a hawk, like yeah. prodding them every time I walk past the fruit bowl. But yeah, ripe Are avocados, you, I think, a joy. Go to supermarkets and I, I'm a squeezer. I'm oh, always... oh, I think that that's <laughs> getting your money's worth. Know, I'm not going to pay that much for an avocado <laughs> if I haven't tested it. I had to say that I've got a really good street market near me, and they do obscenely cheap avocados but yeah. the thing is that you get I don't know six for a pound mm. but you you know you have to cut bits off them basically yeah. but you know you get super ripe avocados yeah. so that's what I tend to do and there's a little bit of wastage but you know it's Free- worth yeah, it but I freeze them yeah people yeah. say and I think you they can fre- buy them frozen in chunks yeah. now so they freeze brilliantly yeah that's a good tip so what else have we got and yeah I the one that I quite like which I think people people love I love chili I'm obsessed with chili um and it's Cincinnati chili. Um, and it's the, the special thing about it is in Cincinnati, they serve it with spaghetti. What's all that yeah, about? <laughs> I know. It's one of those things that um, it's like that program, Diners, Drive-Ins and Dives, yeah, yeah, which I'm that. a bit yeah. obsessed with, I have to say, where he goes into like a really mom and pop cafe on a highway and basically they're cooking up some crazy stuff. This is definitely um, quite crazy. The history of it, as far as anyone can tell, is that in Cincinnati, which is in um, the Midwest, but it's kind of a weird place because it's not quite south and it's not quite north. Right, okay. It's kind of um, a city caught between a lot of different culinary traditions. But um, the thinking is that some sort of Greek diner owners um, cooked up a, a chili to put on some hot dogs, as they do in the States, because yeah. you can never have too much meat. Um, <laughs> and they did it with kind of Mediterranean spicing rather than um, Mexican spicing. So I think it's got um, yeah. oregano. Yeah. Like, yeah, so it's quite sweet. It's got, I think, a little some sweet spice in there and it's got some cocoa in there. We've got, we've got all spice and mm. cumin, oregano, cinnamon, which I love in chili anyway. Mm. And a bit, yeah, the cocoa powder gives it that sort of slight yeah. sweetness. Yeah, so it's quite an unusual um, tasting chili to start. And then also it's meant to be quite soupy. So, 
um, which seems a bit odd with a chili until you realise that then, for no discernible reason, given that they were apparently Greek, they served it with spaghetti. Yeah. And so if you go to Cincinnati, and this is on my list of things to do, I haven't yeah. yet, um, you can go and you can either order it in um, chili three ways, which yeah. is chili, spaghetti, or grated cheese, four ways, which is with either onions or beans, or five ways, which is with the onion and the beans and spaghetti and the cheese. Yeah. And then you can get oyster crackers on top as well. Yeah, so I'm, I really have to go and do I, that. But I'd be having it five ways. I'd, yeah, I'd be having it all the ways, <laughs> twice probably. And finally, my, um, just because I love the name, black bottom, <laughs> black bottom pie. I mean, who could go past a slice? It, I mean, pie is, I love the fact that pie is such an American thing, but it's not what we would call pie, as in we mm. would call pie an enclosed pastry mm. thing, whereas their pies tend to be sweet and there's a, a crust on the bottom, whether mm. it's pastry or biscuit. Um, this one's got Oreos on the bottom, I think, which we love. An Oreo. Yeah, I kind of feel like it's the kind of thing that ought to be pronounced pa. Yeah, it's a pa. Yeah, it's a. Um, it's I think it's a recipe dating from the 1930s, and it's just so delicious. It's kind of one of those really indulgent things that would make a great um, finisher for a dinner party or a kind of yeah. centrepiece at a buffet if you're having an election party, for example. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, what I really love about Oreos, and I was quite sceptical because I'm a big fan of the great British Bicky, basically, the so Dunker. We'd, so we normally use like a, um, like ginger biscuits or we'd use classically in a cheesecake, you'd use a... Um, digestive mm, yeah exactly but what oreos do is a they've got the cream layer which means that you know they bind together yeah. quite well without adding too much in the way of uh, other stuff but also they've got this real cocoa bitterness yeah, which are. is delicious when yeah. you then have quite a sweet sort of rum custard on top and it looks really dramatic as well mm, yeah i'm a big fan and what i also like is that you always get slightly more Oreo cookies in the packet than you need for the base. So then you've got... Yeah, exactly. So you can be cramming them into your mouth even as you're whizzing it up. So with this one, we've got Oreo base, then we've got a chocolate, set chocolate custard, and then a rum, I think it's a rum custard on top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just to finish it off, cream and chocolate on top as well. Exactly, because (laughs) it is a proper southern pie. But um, yes, it's it's the kind of thing that you're probably having quite a small slice. And then maybe the next day, if there are any leftovers, you might just eat straight from the uh, tin well, I think that would definitely finish me off so um <laughs> so thanks for talking us through the feature at Felicity all those recipes are in our November issue which is out this week and you can also go and get Felicity's book The A to Z of Eating published by Penguin which was out this year thank you very much thank you it's been a pleasure Big thank you there to Felicity Cloak and, of course, Janine. You can read Felicity's incredible US recipe collection in our November issue, which is out in the shops now, and you can download the digital edition. And it's a fantastic US special with lots of great recipes and travel advice in there for you to read. And last but certainly not least, we have Sarah, Olive's drinks writer, revealing the very exciting results of the world's 50 best bar awards. So now I'm speaking to Sarah, our drinks writer, who definitely is not hungover from London (laughs) Cocktail Week. And she's got some very exciting news to tell us today. So you have got, we've got a sneak preview, but when you guys are listening, it will be the day after the World's 50 Best Bar Awards. And you've got the results here, Sarah. I do. It's very exciting. Okay. I'm very excited. (laughs) This is the first year that I've actually seen the results ahead. Ahead of time. Okay. So difficult not to get excited about it and... Or get drunk and tell people. Yeah. 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 But we're very special here at Olive, so that will not happen. Of course. You'll only hear when you listen to this podcast on the Friday. Yeah. 
Okay. But it's a really exciting list this year. There's been a lot of movement. Okay. Give us a bit of background on, on the 50 Best. What, what what does this mean for the industry? So it's kind of one of the most prestigious bar awards in the industry. Okay. It kind of tells the cocktail in New Orleans and then this, the kind of the list that everybody wants to be on. Okay. And the great thing about it is that it's judged by people in the industry. So it's an academy of bartenders, bar owners, industry professionals from all over the world. Yeah. Go into... Um, lots of different bars, and then kind of vote who they think should win. Okay. So that kind of gives it a lot of kudos because yeah. they're being voted for by their peers. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's been running for quite a while now. It's, like I say, it's the, the list that everyone wants to be on. So, yeah, everybody's waiting with bated breath to, yeah. to find out the results. Yeah, they get told that they're on the list. They oh, don't that's get told exciting. where on the list Ooh. they are. And so there's been movement this year. There's been a lot of movement, yeah. Okay. Um, which is really interesting. So the last three, last four years, yeah. um, Artesian at the Langham topped the list. Okay. And now, after the award ceremony last year, Alex and Simone, who were the kind of head bartenders there, yeah. announced that they were leaving. Interesting. So <clears> that's <throat> kind of opened up the awards a little bit. Excellent. So... How did you want me to reveal it? Okay, <laughs> well, I don't think we're going to go 50 down to one, are we? But top no. of the pop style. But maybe no. if you can tell us some of the highlights throughout the list and then we'll go down to the top 10 cool. at the end, give a little bit of uh, anticipation for us. Yeah, so Artesian has dropped 53 places. Wow. I mean, there's movement and then there's movement. Yeah. Okay, so that's exactly. presumably because those guys have left and those moved guys on. Have left, yeah. Interestingly, they're still um, using the same menu. Right, so okay. the drinks are still the same, which is why it's probably still in yeah. the top 100. Yeah. But such a massive drop. Yeah. So, you, I mean, them. and that's not to sort of um, disparage what they're doing. This is no, still no. a really great bar. You yeah. need to be in the top 100 bars in the world is still pretty impressive, yeah. right? But, but it's, it's just, just not necessarily the same experience you would have got a year ago. Exactly. And it just shows how important the bar staff are yeah. and the bartenders are. Like yeah. Alex and Simone are such big characters yeah. that you really kind of got a completely different experience yeah again okay. behind the bar um there's 11 new entries in the top 50 okay which is very exciting yeah. um eight of the top 50 are in new york okay interesting but london's beaten them yes go london. <laughs> by one there's go nine london. in london okay. 10 bars in the uk are in the top 50 brilliant which is incredible okay like, bearing in mind that this is a worldwide yeah thing there's bars in singapore there's bars in the middle east and rest of europe rest of america so so when you said last week that London and the UK were sort of pioneers yeah. in the cocktail world. You meant it. You you knew 100%. what you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so maybe tell us about the, the 10 bars that are in the list that we should be looking out for across the UK. Okay, so like I say, nine out of 10 of them are in London. Okay. That's kind of where it's still happening. Yeah. But Bramble in Edinburgh okay. is at number 47. Congratulations, Bramble. That's yeah. great news. Okay. And that's a re-entry. So they were in it previously, okay. dropped out, and now they've come back in. Brilliant. Which is really great news for them. Yeah. Um, definitely one that I'm going to... Try and make a yeah. trip to. Um, Clay is just below them at number 48. Okay. Um, and Clay are known for kind of really innovative stuff and they're constantly changing their menus and their menus are always really exciting. They did a tube map one. They've done like a comic book That's cool. menu. Super cool. Um, Oriole is a new entry, number 32. Okay. Um, which is from the guys behind Nightjar. Right. Nightjar, interestingly, has dropped 16 places. Ah, uh, okay. Why do you think that is? Well... <laughs> Their head bartender, Marion, yeah. has now left. Right. And he's opened his own bar called The Gibson, which we've written about. So you can read that on olivemagazine.com. Okay. And that is a new entry, and that's gone in at number six. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, he's 
Yeah. It's the highest new entry okay. on the list. And again, it shows you how important bartenders are becoming. Yeah. It's really interesting because we talk about kind of celebrity chefs all the time. Yeah. But bartenders don't really get much of a look in. But no. actually, there are huge personalities in the industry yeah. that are incredibly well respected. And it clearly shows yeah. that it makes a difference. I suppose it's actually, because they're not just the kind of the brains behind the operation, like a chef is, and they're behind the yeah. scenes serving, and, and somebody else then delivers mm-hmm. the food. They are the ones creating the menus, yeah. serving you the drinks, talking to you about the drinks. You kind of get the whole experience with them. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. It really shows what difference they make to that. Yeah. So that's so cool. Okay. Yeah. So another London bar, another new entry, number 30 is Bar Termini. Okay. Um, and then Nightjar, like I say, is at number 19. Gibson at number six and what I'm very very excited about and everyone's gonna tell me to stop talking about it <laughs> but Dandelion is up 47 places in at number three wow so you have been I was right talking about it. them a lot uh but that it was for very good, <laughs> for reason. good reason yeah for really good reason hotly tipped um yeah. they're just they're two years old this year constantly innovating constantly doing like incredible yeah stuff with their drinks so let's update for those that aren't necessarily regular listeners to yep. the podcast or you know don't live in london tell us a bit about dandelion and why it's so special so it's on the waterfront um yeah the it's Thames, in isn't the it? sea containers building yeah which is like it's old 70s really hideous building <laughs> on the waterfront but it's on the ground floor it's part of the monjean hotel and it's super cool inside it's right? amazing yeah so it's got this incredible like green marble bar yeah lots of kind of pinky purple leather seating yeah. and velvet seating and it's yeah. all really like it's got a real kind of luxe feel yeah. to it it's super chic but you don't feel you know when you go into some bars or some hotels or some restaurants and you feel mildly intimidated or oh, you yeah. think I'm not dressed right or you just don't have that vibe there do you like not the owner all. walks around with like baseball cap and t-shirt yeah. on and that's part of what we love yeah, as well that's the thing, like, you can you can get dressed up and go there mm. yeah you can make an effort you or can chill. rock up in jeans and yeah. trainers and everyone's kind of welcome the bar staff are just wearing like t-shirts yeah but as long as you appreciate good drink yeah then you're welcome and exactly gonna have a great time right exactly so it's the menu is all focused around modern botany okay and they change up the menu kind of every six months or so and it's just really interesting stuff like they are all about closed loop so they make their own so (laughs) (laughs) they make their own spirits yeah and they work really closely with the kitchens to make sure that nothing's wasted. So they'll use like mint stalks okay. and stuff and make distillates of the kind of stuff that would normally get thrown away. I love that. So really exactly. unique flavours then. Yeah. No waste. Yeah. And you know, everything in that process has made, been made from scratch and you're not going to get that drink anywhere else. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So cool. They're doing really exciting stuff. And Aidan Bowie, um, who works at Dandelion, won the UK world-class competition this okay. year. So really high calibre yeah. of stuff. They, they know their there. stuff. They yeah. really do know their stuff, yeah. yeah. So Although, yeah, we'll let, we'll let you off for talking about <laughs> it all year. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's finally been like justified. Yeah. Um, but they have been pipped by the American bar at the Savoy. Okay. Which I'm not mad about. Okay. That's a you know, fantastic bar. We, we had some very nice drinks there, didn't we? We did have some great yeah. drinks there. And again, they've kind of like refreshed what they've been doing. It's a really classic bar. Yeah. But recently have kind of like re-innovated and are doing some really interesting things yeah. like say we went to to try the new menu yeah a couple of months back now yeah it's a bit hazy um, but uh, <laughs> very good but really cool stuff really cool serves um they did this whole like little um black and white Video. film yeah this is the thing you feel like you're part of history going into that building and that is really special and you know I would want to like wear a nice outfit yeah. when I go there because it's 
it's part yeah. of it. But yeah, it's quite innovative and um, forward thinking the, the ways they're serving their drinks and, and the, again, yeah. the flavour combinations that they're yeah. doing. Because it could be easy for a classic hotel bar to kind of just stick to yeah. the classics yeah. and do it really well, but not be doing anything particularly interesting. Yeah. So yeah, they're, they're doing really exciting things. And obviously that's been reflected. Yeah. Number two. So let's rewind. So we've, yeah. we've snuck in three and two. So there, there are some spoilers. Um, <laughs> but let's go back to 10. Okay. So number 10 is <clears throat> Happiness Forgets. Okay. which is in Hoxton Square. Okay. Um, that one has done really well for the last couple of years. It's a really cool little place. Almost impossible to get into because it's always so busy. Oh, really? Okay. Um, but if you're willing to wait, then... Okay. Worth it, clearly. Definitely Top worth 10 bar it. in the world. Exactly. Know? Okay. Um, number nine is The Clumsies, which is in Athens. Okay. And interestingly, if you don't, if you want to go, mm-hmm. check them out, but you don't want to travel all the way to Athens, they're doing a pop-up at Clue Clay okay. at the moment. Okay. Um, How long is that on for? That is on until Sunday. Uh, okay. Sunday cool. 9th, yeah. Okay, cool. So go quickly. Yeah. But definitely check it out. Yeah. Um, Nomad in New York is at number eight. Great. And that's up 28 places. Wow. So people have been really upping their game this year, clearly. Yeah. They're, like, they're desperate to work their way up yeah. the list, I think. <laughs> you can tell that it's, there's a lot of really exciting stuff going on in the drinks industry. Yeah. And this year particularly, people are being, kind of pushing the boundaries a bit more. Yeah. So that's a cool. super exciting time. Cool. Number seven is Employees Only in New York. That's down three, but that's been consistently in the list kind of since it opened. Okay. It's, yeah, really good bar. Number six is The Gibson in London. Um, number five is Attaboy in New York. And then we've actually, so we've actually got three out of the five, top five are in London. I mean, that's something to be really proud of. Yeah. Like, we are doing really, really well in Britain with our with our. Uh, bartenders yeah, they just know so their well. stuff yeah so well so yeah so support them sorry yes just support them drink drink in their bars and, yes. and reward them for their hard work and make the most of them while they're here and be adventurous the world. Yeah. yeah be a bit more adventurous and don't just stick to you know the, the same old drink that you have anywhere else you yeah know, don't be put off they've put those flavors in for a reason they've yeah. spent like six months creating this menu so it's a bit like when you go to a restaurant and try a tasting menu. Yeah. It's sometimes good to be led by the people that have created all these things. So yeah. it's good when you go to a bar just to be like, what do you think I should have? Exactly. Um, cool. Okay. Yeah. So sorry, Asboy's in at number five. Yeah. Then the Connaught okay. is in at number four. Great. That's in London. Another hotel bar. Yeah. Dandelion at number three. American Bar at number two. And number one. <laughs> Who is it? They'll da, be da, very da, da, pleased da. to know. Is Dead Rabbit in New York. I'm not surprised by that. Not surprised at all. No. No. Tell us um, a bit about that bar for those who don't know it. So I haven't actually been. Mm-hmm. I'm desperate, desperate to go. Yeah. But it's super cool. They do some really kind of crazy stuff with their menus and yeah. how it's presented. And they've been trying to get the number one spot yeah. for probably the last four or five years yeah. and um, have been kind of held off by Artesian. Okay. So I think they're going to be incredibly Hung happy. over today. <laughs> yeah. Hung yeah. over and happy. Um, and yeah. happy, yes. Yeah. So they've only gone up one, but I mean, they're best bar in the world now. Yeah. Which is pretty incredible. Okay. Aren't they doing some collaborations that I read about in The Measure? Um, yeah, so they've just opened a new bar. Yes. Um, called Blacktail, which okay. is also in New York. Okay. Um, and that's a really cool kind of Cuban style yes. bar. And it's got loads of really cool like wicker furniture and it's got this amazing mural behind the bar. Um, some really again innovative drinks they're kind of bringing back the rum and cola but doing it in a really kind of quirky homemade way cool so you can read more about that online yeah. or in sarah's very good drink pages which yeah. i mentioned before called the measure yeah so that's in every issue of olive magazine yeah um cool 
Any other highlights that we need to know about this this um, list? There's just so much. Can you? Um, go and, can, is there any way you can have a look at this list online if anybody wants to have a look? Yeah, at it? so I'll be putting it up on olivemagazine.com. Great, Great. good. Um, so that'll be live when you're reading this, when you're listening to this. Not Great. Reading this. <laughs> um, so you can read it as you listen. Great. Um, so yeah, and then it's going to be kind of peppered about. It's going to be big talk. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I think if any of you uh, like your booze, it's definitely worthwhile having yeah. having a look through. And if you're travelling to any of these cities, whether that be London or Rome or Paris yeah. or anywhere, have a look and see if there are any of these bars on that list because I think it's definitely worth checking them out. Yeah. There. I always have a quick little sneak peek if yeah. I'm going away and just see, are there any bars I need to to hit while I'm For there? Sure. Yeah. Um, and obviously on olivemagazine.com as well, Sarah's got some great bar recommendations across the UK yeah. and beyond that as well. So um, if ever you need any recommendations, always have a look online or remember you can tweet us and Sarah can give you yeah. some top recommendations. Some yeah. Cool. Okay. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank that you. is uh, really exciting and it's great, great to, to know ahead of everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> Seal my lips now. Okay, cool. Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah, and thank you to you for listening to the Olive Magazine podcast. Remember, you can buy the new issue, that's the November issue, our US special, out in the shops now. You can download the digital edition via our app, or you can read lots of lovely articles and recipe collections as ever online at olivemagazine.com. Remember, you can review and rate us on iTunes. You can subscribe for free via Acast, iTunes, or your favourite app. And remember to get in touch via social media. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week.